There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the do I. Are tuned into the Power Court Hour right here on 107.9 WRFA and on the Power Court Hour podcast. I'm your host Anthony Merchant, joining you on this one, and uh, we have two guys right now who just released one of my favorite records of 2022 so far, just two days ago. So uh, right now we got Rory Phillips and we got Jamie Wolford of the Stereo. They are here to talk their brand new album, 13. Their Kings of No Hope podcast series, lots of which I mean, like a year ago. Would not have expected so much stereo stuff to talk about. But here we are with a lot of it to talk about. So new music, new podcasts, all that stuff. Rory, Jamie, how you guys doing? Amazingly. I'm doing fantastically. And and thank you for uh, holding up the show for me. I was outside with my son just a minute ago uh, chasing spiders. So doing some really <laughs> rock and roll stuff in between these interviews. So. Priorities. And I've been busy all week planting spiders at Jamie's house in the pool area. So, you know, it's been a rough week for me, but I'm really glad to be here. Oh, well, <laughs> Blasted <thank> Rory. <laughs> I'm, I'm your busy, busy uh, spider schedules to uh, be here. Talk about a, uh, a brand new record. And I yes. mean, Rory, this is your first time on the show. Jamie, we had you on. It's hard to believe it's almost been a year, but we had you on like July of last year. Hard to believe you wanted me back. I mean, with all the cursing and the just the my viewpoints on the bank systems and that's just you know really controversial stuff. You know, you do remember? I think you uh, credited yourself for creating glam rock. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I think last time right. I did. I, I think you you broke the news here about yeah creating glam rock. You know, right. kind of giving David Bowie his thing and and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I actually do remember this now. <laughs> My comedy, my the memory of my comedy has a very short expiration period, and uh, who could forget that? Probably best left that way, right? Um, but I mean, since since then, I mean, you know, it has been almost a year. Is the uh, I mean, is the new stereo album? Is that what you've been keeping busy with since we last spoke? Just getting this out. Has that been what you've been doing since uh, I guess last July? Uh, I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, last July, right, we were still still sort of keeping our everybody's collective head in the sand pandemic wise. And, you know, how how we thought to do the release of our record was a, a, kind of a constant discussion and and always met with, OK, but then who's going to how are we going to do that? There's nobody's leaving their home. You know, I mean, it's just like it. it it's difficult enough just to try to release an album right to people and hopefully have them pay attention to it and then having that sort of complication that ripple in the uh that wrinkle in the in the in the fabric of everything just made it it was somewhat paralyzing because we were just like well we don't know what to do i guess we have to just kind of wait and see what we we're going to do here but in some respects it actually forced us into ideas that maybe i know personally i probably wouldn't have considered before and thanks to kind of rory's encouragement about doing our kickstarter uh and crowdfunding we ended up kind of landing there and it ended up being the best possible thing that we could have done for our band and and for you know like our, our fans have sort of like responded in this like amazing way and 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 pledged so much support behind us and our record and our podcasts that 
it all it it all really just worked out in the end for us and so we're just like wow this is fantastic so i can't i'm you know hindsight being 2020 like this is this went beautifully and let's go ahead and just say that that's what we intended all along <laughs> and yeah, the, I mean, the glacial pace of of the stereo like we had already been moving super slow since getting this whole thing started from conception to actually starting to take steps towards making it a reality and then you add the pandemic into that it's like the glacier just completely froze and we just hit uh total entropy uh for for a brief period of time but yeah luckily found their way to fight out of it the uh i mean and it is funny you're just talking about the kickstarter i mean i wanted you guys back on when the new album was coming out and originally i was like they're doing a kickstarter it's probably a good time to have them on but by the time i like went to even ask you you needed no help there was like there was zero help needed yeah. we get funded in out. in in 20 minutes we funded our initial goal uh and it was like uh, okay now we had all this preparation uh, to do what it was that that we were trying to do and then it, it just happened and 20 minutes later we're like well well now what do we do for like the rest of the month <laughs> that we planned on trying to like fight people into corners to help us you know uh but it ended up turning into this thing we're like well, okay now we actually now that we have a little bit of sort of like clarity of what the connection is is that we have with our fans now let's try to see if we can sweeten the pot for them and and entertain ideas that we've talked about kind of like, well, yeah, but we'd never be able to kind of pull that off. We can't do a gatefold or we can't, we can't probably get together and make this like concert film type thing. And now we're doing it. You know what I mean? Like the, the fans were like, we want everything that you're, you're saying here, we want this. So here, take, take this and we want it. So we're like, okay. And it was just like this overwhelmingly heartwarming thing for us to like, feel the response and the love that's my dog hi hi much uh from the 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 fans and it, it really sort of resets your uh devotion and your 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 um uh, what's the word i'm looking for so your, your sort of drive and your determination to do music it was it, it couldn't have been more therapeutic and restorative and awesome for us so yeah it was rejuvenating we went from having the what we saw as this maybe insurmountable problem of like how do we even get this record to actually come out like we had already made it so we could put it out digitally and it would be a thing but we really kind of wanted to have some physical presence and be able to actually get it into people's hands and so at first it was like well can we even get the money that it would take to be able to press this where we're not just pouring more of our own money into it and then maybe going to end up sitting on a bunch of boxes of records or something you know not really having any sense of it and so then we shifted over into a crowdfunding space. Then we can know exactly how many people wanted it. We, we would know exactly how many records we needed to, to be able to build, uh, to be able to press. And then we, ha we started having the inverse problem, which is, okay, wait a minute. Now we've, we've raised so much money through this Kickstarter, which was just incredible and blew us away. Now we've got to start thinking it through, like how, how can we give this back to the fans? How can we be able to out of out of all of, of what they've given us through this drive to be able to get this record out now be able to to pay it back to them and i think we came up with some really cool stuff like it, it really there's no even though we were able to raise a lot of money there was no uh real moment where we're just putting a bunch of cash in our pockets all of the money that went into the kickstarter is going into kind of merch perks and things additional things that we're going to create to be able to give to the people who really wanted to see the record be a reality 
No, yeah, that's we're right. we're spending every dollar very carefully and 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 spending every dollar. <laughs> Running the bank. <laughs> it, it, it seems nice because yeah, I mean, coming back and look at, I mean, I can't I can't blame you as much as I want a stereo record. I get why you could get in the back of your head like might be left with a basement full of like you know three thousand copies of this album or something like yeah nobody I, wants that right yeah, you and, don't want we've all sort of faced that problem in one way or another where you're like oh god we we overpressed or we you know whatever right or we just or the band your band broke up before you could really kind of move all that stuff or whatever right and so nobody wanted that nobody needs that in their life but at the same time like we just we just were so fortunate that we landed on a situation in which we could sort of tailor make everything to the sort of the the whims and wishes of our fan base so like i feel like they're getting like exactly i mean they it's just sort of voted with their dollars like well this is what we want from the band and we're like okay let's deliver and so it was just yeah. like perfect we didn't have to guess what everybody wanted we you know like we made a guess what they wanted when we made the music artistically right we're sort of like this is what kind of floats our boat and we're now we're going to share it and hopefully it floats your boat too but and that response has been fantastic as well um but as far as just like sort of like as a a, a product that we're trying to like share with people like it just was so fantastic and and by the way I, I really do have to credit rory because i was sort of the naysayer of this whole thing i didn't i didn't have the vision for thinking this could work and rory was like dude come on like you know and <laughs> and and rory if there was you know the, rory you told me so <laughs> well, well I, I you know I let it be known really, May 15th I admitted <laughs> finally Rory told me so very satisfying to finally get that <laughs> in the books uh yeah I I was just super fortunate to have already gone through it because I think you know crowdfunding in general there can be a little bit of a stigma around it and, and kind of a sense of like oh you know there's those who can and those who can't do Kickstarter or something which is total totally not correct there's uh a really uh successful artists who are utilizing that platform in a really really cool way on a regular basis but my my old band uh, the impossibles had done a seven inch doing crowdfunding and so i got to experience firsthand because we were in the same sort of situation like we don't really want to pay to press this ourselves let's get a sense of like how many people want it it'll be sort of a an almost pre-order sort of situation and that was so great like like jamie's saying just that direct connection with the fan base to find out what what exactly the level of interest is and so luckily, I, you know, I bet big that it would be a similar uh, sort of thing for the stereo. And I, luckily I was right. Uh, otherwise I would be doing a big, I told, uh, you told me so for Jamie right. at this point. Be the other way around on here. Right. Yeah. It would be I, an intervention and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I mean, I, I do remember that Impossible's Kickstarter too. And it seemed like it was very much like the stereo one where it just kept going. Like it like yeah. kept catapulting and just I remember it getting bigger and bigger. That really like within the scene, at least I remember that being one of the honestly like original Kickstarters that did like got pretty big and everything. And I, I've always liked that, too. I feel like we're getting like it was very popular for a while. And then I feel like some of the crowdfunding, obviously it never went away, but fans are doing less of it and they're doing more of it again. I like that. I think that's the best way to do it. I think again, it's like realistically with the band, it gauges interest. You get to know as a fan, like, this is what I would like. This is what we can do. You know, and you get to do crazy things. You know, it's like you can do things in there where it's like, Hey, we also kind of have these wild perks. If you really want like this or that, like that's all in there for all gauges. If you just want the new record, here's the new record. 
you want something, you know, you want all this extra stuff you want. I mean, I think you guys are doing like Zoom calls or shout outs, like different. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There are a bunch of different perks where it's like, if you're into that, like we got that too. Yeah, I think we were we were sort of wise to really throw our imagination, you know, into this and be like, okay, well, some people are just kind of maybe want some physical stuff and other people want to see some sort of performance and other people want to talk to us and maybe somebody wants to sit there on a zoom and have like Rory and I talk about songwriting or maybe teach some guitar parts or so, you know, whatever it is that you wanted to do. We're obviously totally game for all of that. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, like sort of, we had these sort of parameters about anything, but we're just like, well, let's take all of our skill sets, like, and our time and our energy and our love for this and just like make them available in every f possible way we could and see what bites. And like you said, everybody kind of like sort of, you know sort of picked and choose what it, what it was that they wanted and and yeah we would have we would have never like thought to like do some of this stuff custom songs and whatnot you know uh and but it, the cool thing about what what i think that i kind of like the most about how we did it is we didn't just do this as like a a resourcing uh uh, 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 drive to then go do our stuff. We actually tied it into the promotion of our record. Our record is 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 out, right? Um, and so we we knew, and uh, you know, and one of the complications in all of this was the vinyl uh, um, press times, right? Like it's r r many many months, and and different companies have, you know, the more expensive ones get them to you faster, the least expensive ones get them to you much longer, and everything in between, right? So we had to kind of gauge whether or not like, well, how, how are we going to do this and how long is it going to take? And, but we wrapped it up with the releasing of our singles kind of like one every four weeks like that. And just, it was a great way to share what we're doing before everything was concluded with it. So it felt more like a record release than it did a sort of a promotional resourcing of, of funds and stuff like that, you know? So yeah. I, I, I'm really proud of us and, I, I don't take a lot of credit for it because I again I was the naysayer but at the same time I'm like I'm so glad that we did it you know I'm so glad to be wrong <laughs> and we we worked with a company called craft services by the way that uh, uh Steve from punchline I noticed Anthony you're wearing a punchline shirt yeah. uh uh Steve is is uh, part of craft services and and they were also a really great resource for us with getting all that set up Absolutely. oh that's awesome that is, and it, it, I mean, again, it's amazing because the initial goal was like what five thousand. It was, it really was not that high. Yeah, Jamie wanted it to be three. Oh my god, because he was yeah. he was worried that we weren't. I gonna thought hit five. it was going to make fifteen hundred bucks, and I said, so I'll go, I'll I'll do three. I'll go as high we'll, as three, and everybody's we'll like, like, shut up, we're doing five. five. Like fine, five, but this is going to be a total. I'm going to land on my face here, and then like twenty <laughs> minutes later, I'm like, okay. I did land on my face, but from embarrassment, you know, to my own, my own friends in my band, you know, did you wear that hat so you can eat it now? Are you going to eat your hat? <laughs> I actually no, was no, salting no, it no. just a moment ago. I thought it would just taste a little bit better. So, so let's, I mean, let's get into the new record. Cause obviously, I mean, the band, the band on and off, it's been like over a decade now that you, since that, you know, first reuniting to play that, uh, fueled by ramen anniversary show. I mean, the new record's here now, but like, I mean, were there thoughts between, you know, in the last decade? I mean, was this the first time you were thinking of a new stereo record or is this the first time it was finally like you finally did it? Like, I mean, was there any talk within this time or is that really this recent? You were like, all right, time to do a stereo record. 
Rory's Rory's analogy or metaphor of the glacial pace of the stereo is not <laughs> is not an incorrect or ill-suited metaphor. It we started working on the record about seven years ago, wow. and 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 the joke was at least back then was probably like, oh, you know, we'll just we'll just knock it out. You know what I mean? Like no big deal. Like we we got some, we got some songs kicking around. We'll just do this, right? And you know, like our lives today are obviously much different than they were twenty years ago, and to and then but yet we're still all in kind of different parts of the country and you know families and all that stuff and and you're just sort of like gosh like um well i can work on this much for this weekend and then i probably have to kind of like there's i got a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks and that just kind of just you know kept compounding but then we also sort of like as this process stretched out, we kept writing songs and like, we kind of mm-hmm. were like, Oh my God. And like, we got over, we got well over 30 songs that we wrote to, and, and not just like, sort of like little, like there's a riff. That's a song like mm-hmm. completed demos, background vocals, pretty good mix and everything of 30 plus songs, like really three albums worth of material. And it started becoming almost like a point of contention, you know, like the rhythm section, Chris and Sam, they're kind of like, guys, Dude, what, what, how many songs is this? Are you trying to like, like make it so that there's no more songs left to write? Like, what is the deal here? What is the aim for this? Like, like you're trying to get all your songs out of the system now and then just like, and then just like put out records forever, which so it, but it turned into kind of like, okay, guys, just cut it off. We got it. We got at least two great records here. Like, let's just make one now. And, um, but then when we finally got down to it, you know, it was like okay let's do this and and it was just coordinating everybody's schedules getting them in the room you know R- rory flew out to arizona to do some vocals i had chris come out and do some bass sam's in town with me so we were able to do a lot of pre-production and planning uh before the drum days and stuff like that so but then the rest of it was sort of just like done here i you know like shut off the lights and worked on the record and you know my little cauldron of sound so that's where the magic but, happens it's where the magic, yeah. It was, hence the cauldron. You need one, so you know, <laughs> gotta have all that stuff. You know, for for d- doing that, writing so many songs, I gotta ask, like, you know, for you guys to keep writing and them kind of have to tell you, like, hey, like, what are you trying to do? Do you think any of that came from like, because you're writing songs for a new stereo record? Is there any part of you that's almost like the actual? Okay, now we go write it. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's one thing in theory to write a new stereo record. But now you have to, when you're done with however many songs, now you actually got to go do it. Like, do you think any of it came from that? Or it was like, you know, like do something, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, was there anything of that where it was like, maybe, yeah, we want to do it, but there, it's still kind of scary to do a new record after all these years. Is that any oh, so you're saying like, like keep writing to sort of prevent yourself from having to actually execute actually, it, right. on it? Do it. It's one thing to talk about it, but then to actually go, okay, yeah, yeah more than enough songs. What are you waiting for now? Well, we didn't want it to be bad, right? We didn't want a bad record. So, you know, and, and, but oddly enough, a lot of what made the record was a lot of the initial songs, you know, like certainly Rory, Rory came in hot with this stuff. Like he, like, he's like, I got a few songs kicking around. And then he like dumped a Dropbox on me of like 10. I was like, oh my God, well, that's like the record. You're like, what am I going to do here? You know? So. Um, so I had to, I had to do some catch up, you know, but, and, but, and we definitely had like these, like, kind of like, like a month where Rory and I were like, okay, we're going to write some weird songs now. And we, you know, songs that were just like, had no guitars in them and, and, and strange things and, um, which are still cool, but it was just like, we, what the record is today 
was sort of like honed in from all of this stuff. And so part of Rory is a fantastic songwriter, obviously on his own and could probably make a stereo record on his own with no help. And I would probably do the same. So it wasn't like there was going to be a shortage of songs between us because of just how like kind of naturally prolific we try to be. Um, but I definitely wanted to get to the point where I'm like, okay, everything that I'm sort of like feeling I, uh, that I have in my head and in my heart for music right now, I wanted to give it an opportunity to get there so that I could like possibly contribute it for this record. You know, I remember thinking early on, I'm like, Rory's got these fantastic songs. And like, if I want to be on this record, I'm going to have to deliver this at, at minimum, uh, the same quality that he has delivered. So, you know, and it's not like every time you go to sit down and write a song, you can just go, Hmm, I'd like to write the best song I've ever written. Like, let's do that today. <laughs> what, you know what I mean? That doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's kind of like, whatever the thing that is in your that in your fingertips that day is kind of the thing you end up working on and some days it's a really great thing and other days it's like well that's pretty good but i don't know if that would make the record so you have to kind of keep indulging in that process before you have enough stuff to really make what we think is our best record and in in my mind too i think there was like a courtship period where i was sending demos to jamie and like jamie liked them and and would maybe you know, tweak them a little bit. And, uh, you know, I would maybe send him some of the the raw tracks that I had, and he would produce something that was a, a, a little shinier demo version of it. And that was great. And we did that for, for a while. But then Jamie kind of started lo- like really cutting loose as we got further into it. And I think that's when we really hit our stride. Like, the, you know, Jamie said, I could write a whole stereo record. I could write a record of songs that, are, that sound like the stereo, but if it was just me, it would sound like the artificial heart, which is like the the solo stuff I did, right? And Jamie's which also I love, done... by the way. I, I love that <laughs> that record. Uh, but got some major league jams on that on that monster. And Jamie also has a fantastic solo record. Both of those records, I, I think, sound good and have good songs on them, but they don't sound like the stereo. And the the way that we finally got this to be a real stereo record is whenever I would start sending stuff to Jamie, and then he would change the key. And now this guitar, now this song doesn't have guitars in it anymore. Uh, or the, you know, this song doesn't have piano in it anymore. And it did originally. And, uh, I've sped up the tempo and like, now it has accordion, which came from nowhere. (laughs) And by the way, here's a bridge that, that I wrote that you, you know, never even had. And that's when it really got super exciting for me and like felt like a lot more collaborative and, and more like we were, uh, cooking with gas because, there was discovery for me for songs that I wrote, which is like such an exciting feeling. That's neat. I like, I like the, yeah, we, Oh no, go ahead, dude. Uh, I was just going to say, there's a song on the record called do you don't you that Rory wrote that was pretty like buttoned up and a very specific way. And it's, he sent it to me and I was listening to it. I'm like, yeah, I can tell this is totally a Rory song. And I, 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 I thought it was great. I really liked the chorus, and but the verses to me, I was just like, I just wish they were a little bit, like a little bit more sort of like heartstring tuggy kind of thing. And so I had this really wild idea. I'm like, what if I like, I just take his vocal part and then I write completely new music underneath it that then marries up with the chorus, which actually was almost the exact same music as the chorus but then we sort of had this little bridge section between them 
And now, like, and then I, when I finally sent it back to him, I remember I had two versions. I had his version, which I sort of like did the shiny version, which Rory was, you know, talking about. But then I was like, okay, and I had this other version where I basically just took you and then put you on top of a different song <laughs> that, that I kind of like started manipulating based off of what you sent me. And I wrote a bridge and shoved that in the middle that sounds like Paul Revere and the Raiders, Cherokee people. And like, this is going <laughs> to knock, this might be a little bit left field. Will you just sit with it for a few days? And like, I think it was like probably the next morning. He's like, dude, this is crazy good. Let's do it this way. And I was like, oh, awesome. You know, so to what Rory's talking about, like that, that like, okay, you gave me this, like these ingredients and you thought you were going to get this, but I'm, I'm sending you back that. What do you think? And he's, it just went from there. So. Is there a uh, like? Is there a certain amount a song is finished before you'll share it with the that like? I mean, are we talking? Could you share an idea like just a voice memo where it's like, hey, here's like a chord progression, here's a melody or something? I mean, we kind of flesh out the songs a little more before sharing them with each other. Like, is there kind of a and maybe it changes, but I mean, is there like a certain amount you work on a song before yeah. you share it with the rest of the guys? Yeah, I, I mean, both me and Jamie have worked as producers for other artists and, and making stuff. So we've both got the kind of like full setup to be able to, to, you know, make a complete song. I would say that the, the level that it got to before I would send it to Jamie would usually just be like, I, I want to have a verse and I want to have a chorus. And that might be as far as it goes. I, we never really, you know, just sent like one riff to each other and, and built up from that sort of like, there was always context of it. Yeah, you know, it, like Rory was, would put a drum part in so that I understood kind of the feel or something like that, you yeah. know. And, um, and that's where I really needed Jamie because I I don't have the drummer background that Jamie does. Jamie's a fantastic drummer. He played drums on on our first record, Three Hundred, and so he could bring in like actual drum knowledge and like a, an actual sense of what should help to to propel the song. So there would there be something in there, but I wasn't you know, heavily married to anything. And then, like I was saying, I would have just the verse and the chorus, which usually leaves room for a middle eight or a bridge or some other, depending on what country you live in. Yeah. The term, <laughs> terminology changes. I like middle eight, you know, I, I put use and favorite. I, I like to, uh, I like to spice it up. Actually, I, I kind of, I've never said it that way, but I, it sounds fancier that way than a bridge. Yeah. I, it's it, much it, fancier. I got that actually from a British record producer as like <laughs> yeah. dumb as that sounds. It actually so is So for true. your audience's knowledge and understanding what it is we're talking about, like we talk about songs, you know, everybody knows what a verse is. Everybody knows what a chorus is, right? But the section between the verse and the chorus in, in the States is usually referred to as the pre-chorus. Overseas, they call it the bridge. It bridges one section to the next, which actually is probably a little bit more sensible to call it a bridge, right? But we, what we call the bridge in the States is that what, what they call overseas, the middle eight, which mm -hmm. usually after the second chorus that kind of goes away to this other part of the song, which is usually a unique section of the song that doesn't happen more than once. The States would call it the bridge. Overseas, they call it the middle eight, eight bars of something you know, whatever. And then yeah. back to the chorus. Right. You know, anyway, so that's, that's what we're talking about. We say these crazy terms, but it's funny because they, they do get interchanged all the time. Even in the same conversation with the same people, we'll flip, <laughs> we keep jumping <laughs> terminology. It happens all the time. So. Yeah. There's some great middle eights on uh 13. There's some great, there's some great ones in there. You wrote, you wrote some, uh, some very good ones. Does that some people, you know, I, I've heard some musicians go, that's a pain in the ass. Cause it's almost, you have to like, it's another part of the song almost. You know what yeah. I mean? You almost have to write a whole other part. Like, 
I guess, do you enjoy making bridges or is that kind of like, Oh yeah. It's the Oasis from the song. And it takes, it gives, it's like, you know, if you look at a picture of a building, you don't know it's tall unless you put a little tiny car next to it. Right. It helps (laughs) give you the sense of scale, right? To me, the middle eight or the bridge or whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, that is the sense of scale for the rest of the song. It's what informs you how powerful the other parts are. And sometimes it could be like more powerful or less powerful or faster, slower, whatever it is, but it's your chance to then divert away from the standard set of ingredients you've been sort of like setting out in front of someone. Um, you know, you think of a song like Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison, right? You know, Pretty Woman's very sort of basic. It's got the riff. Pretty woman looking down the street. And then it goes to that. Pretty woman. That's the, and that's a completely different song. Also a great song. And you get to just drop it in. It's almost like a little radio station within one song, you know? And I've yeah. always thought of that song as like a great sort of prototype and example for other singer-songwriters or whomever to like you utilize that as like hey this is a tried and true like maneuver like just don't just like keep doing the same starting chord when you get to your middle eight like think about the relative minor think about something else what would what would really sound refreshing at that moment you know and do that or at least start there and i think in a band like ours that has two singers you've got that extra lever that you can pull where you can just take a left turn have the other singer pop in all of a sudden we're Shakespeare's sister and we've got the the second vocal <laughs> style coming in uh, and then we can switch back to the original song afterwards there's a couple of different songs on 13 where we do that yeah worth, and there's a lot of, of our demos that did that too probably a, uh, due to the fact that we were sort of doing this collaborative thing and I would write the bridge to a song Rory had didn't have a bridge for so there was a, this automatic shift you know but we would do that a lot we're like you know but like a song like heather rory takes over the the vocals right mm-hmm. and then a song like do you don't you i take over the vocals and the bridge it, it's a fun maneuver so it's fun I'm for like- us to guess what each other's lyrics were too whenever we try and sing <laughs> the different things sure. yes. Get a little, little natural evolution usually through that process oh that is great. and then live we'll flip a coin to see who sings what you know what i mean like every time <laughs> For this, for going into this record, you know, I mean, it's, you know, like you were saying, I mean, you, uh, I mean, the stereo hasn't put out a record since 2002. The stereo hasn't put out a record with Rory since 1999. When you go into this new record, I mean, are you thinking of it with the mindset of this is a stereo record and this is a follow-up and this and that? Or, I mean, are you almost going in as it's just something that you guys are all working on to get, you know what I mean? Like almost, almost not in the way of this is a reunion record. We're just working on a new album together. Like, what what's the mindset when you're putting this together? I don't know, Roy. What was your mindset? Oh, that's so funny. I really wanted to hear your perspective on it because obviously, I so want to know your perspective. I was only part of one of the the three original stereo records, right? So for me, there's this whole like return to the fold piece of it that that plays into it as well, in addition to uh, the passage of time element, where. Yeah, to me, to me, it, it that's what it feels like. It's like, okay, I'm I'm coming back into the mix, and now we're making the the fourth record, and it doesn't really feel that separated for me. But I, I was also absent for that whole period that the the band was you know operating Sans Rory. So so Jamie, do, does it does it feel just like this is the to na- me? Next it step? actually feels a lot more like 300 than any of the other records mm-hmm. like you know uh, no traffic was a kind of a particularly tough record to make just the the dynamic in the band at the time was just so 
kind of toxic. And so like, I didn't enjoy making that record one bit. Rewind and record had its own challenges, but at the same time, it was like, um, it, it, it was, it was to me that if I could recall, it was kind of like my, one of the really first th major things I did, uh, in pro tools, which is like, you know, like a much more modern way and kind of the way that everybody records now, you know, using computers and stuff like that. Um, but I had come from the kind of the linear based recording systems of the tape and, you know, that sort of thing. So that was my first real foray into doing it that way. So that had its own sort of like, I was kind of almost lost in technicality making that record. Mm. But this record to me was like, I, it, to me, it was like, it was like making 300 was, but a more sort of like defined like okay you know we're we're this much older we're this much wiser we've got this many attempts at making records under our belt and now and rory is delivering these like jams and i'm going okay i just everything i'm working on as a from my producer side of my brain is like top notch and so i, I I'm, I'm constantly going okay how do i make this as good as it could possibly be there's a really powerful melody in this moment or there's a really powerful lyric in this moment like, how do I present this as a producer in the way that best reflects it? Don't always have that, the access to that, you know, like sometimes I'm working with young bands and, and they're just happy to kind of be in the room and they're happy to get to the end of the part without screwing up, you know what I mean? So <laughs> you're just kind of like going, and that's fun actually to work with people that are kind of just discovering music kind of early on. But this was sort of like, okay, everybody felt like they were kind of firing at, you know, they're bringing the A game so I had to as well. So my half of my mind was going, just make sure you don't mess this up. And then the other half, it was like extraordinarily comfortable knowing that we had all this material to choose from. And it felt, it felt unique as a stereo record. It was extraordinarily unique as just any other record. It was my, my favorite to work on also sort of like emotionally draining because I was putting so much of my mental energy into making sure that this was great, you know, because I didn't want to screw it up. You know, there's been obviously probably any producer will tell you like, yeah, some days you're kind of just doing your best to make, you know, you want to make a great record for the client you're working on. But if, if they're not the best band in the world or they don't, maybe they're a great band, but they don't have the best music. You know, there's only so much you could do with the ingredients. If somebody brings you bread, cheese, and mayo, you're making a cheese sandwich. You're not making a, a pizza, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Or like a brick oven pizza. Like you have to kind of do the best cheese sandwich you can make, right? 13 to me was like the whole grocery store. And I just, I had to make sure that we made the best meal possible. A lot of food analogies here that we're going to just <laughs> avoid for the rest of the time because I'm obviously hungry. So I, <laughs> I have to say for the record too, that Jamie put the most blood, sweat and tears into this record of anyone. It was a, it was a team effort. It was a collaborative effort. You know, we worked together on stuff, but I mean, the amount of work that Jamie put into not only the recording of the, the album, you know, the songwriting, the performances, uh, everything that, that he did there. But then since then till now, anything that you've seen from the stereo where you're like, wow, that looks a little more professional than what I was expecting from a band doing everything themselves. That's because of Jamie Wolford, uh, because Jamie uh, has has really uh, gone above and beyond and, and made everything that that we've been able to put out have, I, I think, be one step up from what it would have been or, or maybe several steps up than if we were 
kind of you know trying to do it uh, uh, without his amazing talents. Um, on the on the previous point, I, I do I wanted to call out Jamie. To me, this this does feel similar to three hundred. Uh, you know, from the way that with three hundred we were exchanging demos in the beginning, and then we kind of, kind of got together. I think one major change from my perspective is that I, at least personally, am not precious with things anymore in the way that I was back then. Like I think when we were making 300, there was maybe a sense of like, okay, I need to own onto my ownership of this piece and this part mm -hmm. and this thing that I did. And like, if this doesn't make it into the final product, then I now have less ownership over this song or like, I'm, you know, not, not getting in my contribution or whatever. I think all That's of those probably a kind of a youthful thing, right? Yeah, I, I yeah, probably, yeah. I, I, I would probably echo that. I probably came in with like, no, this is my song. We're going to do it this way, you know, and you probably were doing the same, even though we were collaborating, right? You know, I we, yeah. we kind of had like a rule, like my song, I sing. Well, no, I guess we didn't though. We kind of, but, but we were I'm like the about. boss of, of like our, our yeah, songs. You're the, so, like, you're the, the decision maker on this producer. one. I'm the, yeah, I'm the decision maker on that one. And I think it, like that whole element for me has has completely gone away and it's just it's all about the service of the song and the service of yeah. the album and, and making the best thing possible going i mean going along with that and it was something i was actually going to ask later and it's kind of going to what you're talking about and you know in the beginning like not being married to ideas hearing you know let, letting things grow letting a song grow if someone has another idea and stuff but something i was thinking about while listening to the podcast that just i don't know how this has never hit me but you're both coming into this is the front man of two other bands, obviously. I mean, I don't know if you were like both the leaders of Animal Chin and the Impossibles, but I mean, coming into one yes, band- Rory is the leader of Animal Chin. So <laughs> it's a really complicated setup we have, but it just works. Yeah, good cop, bad cop. <laughs> but like, like doing that and coming from two different bands where, again, I mean, I, I don't know if, if that was the case or not. I'm assuming both of you were singers, you, maybe you had the most control over songs and stuff. Was that a hard thing coming into a band where now you have to, I mean, you're, you're both at the front role where a lot of times you're not, you probably just both came from yeah. bands for quite a few years where you didn't have that second. I mean, yeah, you had the other band, but you didn't have that second person in that same position that you're in. I mean, was that, was that something that you think you had to deal with early on? I mean, I, I would assume some of it, like you were talking about the songs and kind of not being married to the idea, taking other people's suggestions, I feel like some of it might come from that, but I mean, I'm talking to two people from those bands. So yeah. I'd, I'd like your perspective and what you actually think on that. I, I think that foundational problem is probably what led to me being kicked out of the band initially, at least in some respects. There were, there were all sorts of pieces to it, but you're, you're not wrong. So uh, Jamie very much was the leader of Animal Chen. I very much was the leader of The Impossibles. And so when you get the the two leaders in a room and then all of a sudden the monster has two heads and it's trying to maybe go in two, two slightly different directions, that becomes a much bigger problem than if there's sort of like someone uh, in the driver's seat and then, you know, someone else riding shotgun. So I do think that that, that had some of the foundations for what would eventually kind of come to a head. And, and you mentioned the podcast. I'll, I'll just say the the podcast is called Kings of No Hope. Uh, I'm, it's a five-part podcast that I made about the history of the stereo because while I was there for the first record that we made, I got kicked out pretty quickly after that. And so Kings of No Hope was a way for me to be able to explore the story of the stereo as we were leading up to making this new album uh, that we just put out called 13. 
And we, we get into a lot of that about the dynamic uh, back in the day and then the eventual just friction that led to, to me being kicked out. I think maybe it seemed a little too simple on paper at first. Like we've got two great songwriters put them together. They're going to be, they're going to write twice as many good songs and the, the band is going to be fantastic. More is uh, more, right? Yeah, exactly. Nice. But the, there's, there's a lot of In this case, it was more that. is moron. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I could see that being a thing. And I mean, also just with time is like you were saying, I mean, you get older, you, you, you figure that out. It's like, Hey, like this person, which also like with production, I'm I'm sure, I mean, both of you, you know, both do it. And we were kind of talking about your food analogy a minute ago, Jamie, but like with like younger bands and stuff, is it harder when they're not, because I'm sure the younger you are, the less you've done it, maybe you don't take direction as well. Maybe you're still in that mindset of what's this guy know? Well, he's your producer. He probably does know something like, I mean, is that- You get both. You get both. You get all, all, all across the spectrum. You, you know, like I love working with anyone that kind of comes into the situation, going, "Okay, I don't know my way around this room," and so, like, will you help me? I, this is kind of what I want to do, and I'll show you this thing, and like, like, how can, what would be the best light in which I can present my art, my artistry, right? That's always the funnest because, like, I then become like a uh, the vehicle in which artistry can kind of happen right and then there's other people that go look i am very i i am the deciderer and i'm gonna make it the way i want it and i want to hear it the way I, I i hear it in my head and that has its benefits because i love anybody that's got a clear defined direction the problems that 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 you kind of run into with that is sometimes the, the with inside your imagination anything is possible musically mm -hmm. right any you know going from this the bottom of the guitar to the top of the guitar in like a nanosecond is totally possible you just fly my hand up and whatever right but in reality things you know your physics get in the way right but audio is also physics right if you're trying to put like this really reverby Rhodes piano on top of a big heavy guitar it's hard to hear both instruments with clarity right um and some people are can absorb that sort of like the the real the, the interjection of reality and some people don't you as a producer it's always my job to kind of like slice the pie and make it work one way or the other it may not always deliver what uh, what your imagination wants but it, there's a there's a way to do just about anything right um, kind of lost the train of thought we were talking about here, I, but like Jamie, as you're talking about this, I I don't think we've ever really compared notes. I bet we could actually like come up with a list of the overreaches that every band wants to make oh, when they yeah. get into the studio. Children's choir is like the top yep. of my list. Like every Dude, band, I've everybody ever wants that, and they're like, it would sound so great. Let's just get even on the wall. Choir. Dude, even like maybe on the we wall. know somebody. Yeah, yeah. I know people with kids. <laughs> yeah. It's an elementary like, school just down the street. They'll do, I'm sure they'll do it. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, kids, now we need to double track that. Like, it's been six hours and we've got 30 seconds. Like, so now let's double it. You're just like, no, this is not happening. It's like they say in, in, in film and TV that the hardest, the most difficult productions are with animals and children, right? It's yeah. just, you know. It's nothing against children, obviously. It's just like the it, it, the studio is a slow-paced, meticulous kind of thing, and it requires you know termination and focus, and you know kids don't often bring that you know. 
So I feel like after yeah. take two, they're over. They're over it. I don't think you're getting more. I already did that. What do you mean? You know? Yeah, I'm not doing that again. It's funny because I I record my kids all the time. We make these songs for my wife for like her birthday and Christmas and stuff like that. And we we have like near, a near albums worth of material at this right. point of just like Christmas songs. We did some stereo songs. We did you know all this stuff. We did a Cars song. And and if no and me being me, I'm like, okay, we're gonna this is gonna be fantastic record production, and we're, and we're gonna do harmonies and double tracking and gang vocals. Like the last one we did for Christmas was like a, a like a five minute long Christmas punk rock medley, and it's insane, right? My kids, right? We're like, I'm saying here, like, you know, kids are tough to work with. They're all like, let me do that again. And I'm like, oh, no, I thought that was pretty good. Like, no, go back and let's do it again. Like, they're like, they're like, I don't have much of a say because I'm, I'm dad. And it's just like, I got this. Why don't you just step out? Let me just take oh over the gosh. transport. And like, you know, they're like, they're cutting their own vocals. And... Like four little Jamie Wolfords in the studio. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Family. I can't we'll even. But like, I did a, I did a, a school project with Jamie and he's like, I want to do that again. I don't like the way that sounds. I don't like that effect. He's all... <laughs> I love it. Sorry, sorry, sir. <laughs> let me let me fix that for you. I'm about to get fired from my own production. You know, yeah. Get kicked out of your own studio. Yeah, yeah. we don't. We don't. You can just go. I think we're good. We don't. Yeah, I think we got this. Oh, the guitars on this. I mean, in in true stereo fashion. I mean, you have to have big guitars. I feel all all the records do, but you hit it really well. I think the guitars on on thirteen, nice and full, nice big guitars. What were both Thank of you, you playing on this? Like, was it mostly the same rig throughout? Basically, like same guitar and amp for every song. Did you mix it up a lot? Like, what were uh, what were your guitar rigs like on this record? It was essentially, um, you know, like, I, how, do we go into a technical thing? How technical well, do we oh, get here? Oh, it's tech. I love this stuff. Okay, you okay. As cool as you want, because I think so, people this will really like this part. Okay, so so I use the Kemper Profiler. Nice. Which nice. is a um uh like it's called a, a Kemper profiling amplifier, which is kind of like a computer that just deals with guitar modeling guitar amplifiers. Um and I use this uh model it was called, it, it was a I don't even remember because I ended up retitling it so I don't know what the original is called but it is a Splawn amp. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's kind of like a really boutique JCM 800, which is kind of my flavor of amp, but it's like a really, really good model of a, of a, of a really high end Splawn amplifier. Um, And then I, for, I would say probably 95% of it was my, uh, my Fender Stratocaster with humbuckers in it. Um, Occasionally there'd be some other things. And there was a lot of stuff that Roy played on the demo that made its way into the thing. Um, you know, a lot of the clean little noodles here and there, um, certainly from Rory's demos, all kind of like, if I didn't have to fix it, I wouldn't, you know, or redo it. You know, uh, like Rory said earlier, a lot of a lot of my big moves on on Rory's demos were like, this is a fantastic song. Let's speed it up and change the key. That was kind of like my <laughs> almost had like a like a speed macro on the computer. Change the key. You're like, oh, it's the, a Rory song. Speed up, change key. You yeah. you the most, though? Like, is there a key? Like, was there a lot of like going to no. or something? Like, is there oh, one key you went to a lot? I would, no, nothing like that. Oftentimes it was like Rory would record the song in E standard tuning, but the, oh, okay. the band kind of works more in E flat. So sometimes it was just down a half step, you know, other times it was like, you know, this, these vocals are too high here. Let's back it down a whole step. And then, you know, so we, and then it gives us this kind of more 
like a kind of like a more forgiving D major kind of sound or, you know, whatever, like the, every song was a little different. Nothing had like a, a specific recipe, but, but our joke is that like they had to go faster and they had to, then the key had to be changed. Um, so some of the guitars would get retracked just out of the sheer fact that we needed to change the key. So the guitars would have to get changed. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, I kept it pretty, pretty simple. Um, my philosophy on on guitar tracking is not to bury yourself in menus and tone and all this that and the other but it's actually to try to just really play it like right um i I know that it kind of sounds funny every time i say it but you'd be so surprised like you can play a a a riff really great and then double it and it's like that sounds good but if you really nail the timing and then and then double track it, something happens that goes a little bit past what any piece of technology can do. And 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 you know, like like I, I always argue this. I go, it's never about gear because if it were about gear, I could my like I, you know, I love my mom, but if I were to give my mom the best Les Paul and the best amp and right, she doesn't make her play any better than me with crappy gear, right? Like it's yeah. about the player it, and, and, and a lot of people, you know, if you, you could just use YouTube as an example, everybody, it's about comparing this to that and this and that, these, these finely nuanced differences between whatever similar pieces of gear. And ultimately it just comes out of your hands. And so if you, and it, that's a hard lesson to learn because it's like, everybody wants it to be, if I just buy the awesome Tron 7,000, my problems yeah. are solved. My guitar go. tone will be perfect. And it's never the awesome Tron 7,000. It's the awesome <laughs> Tron 8,000. That's the one you want. No. <laughs> no, but it's your hands, right? So like, it, but that is, that's hard. That's hard work. And it's, and, and, and that's old school. You, all of your heroes did it this way. Why would we be any different? Right? And I, and I tell young producers all the time, don't, don't like you may have pro tools and that's your recording medium, but there's a button up in the, in the setup or the options called destructive record, use that mode. Yeah. And that's that it's, it's kind of like tape mode. Like if you hit record again, it doesn't make a new thing. It actually records over what you just did. Just like a cassette tape would or a reel to reel would. And I recorded most of the guitars and most of the vocals in destructive mode. You know, if I was in something really particularly difficult, you know, like just some strange intervals, I might, you know, okay, I'm going to comp this together or whatever. But like, for the most part, I just try to like, be like, if it's not right, I'm not going to like massage it into place. I'm just going to play it until it's right. And it's, there's a little bit of bravado doing it, a little kind of like, check me out. I'm, I'm badass. I use destructive mode, but at the same time, it, it changes the way that you approach playing music and recording it. And it just it makes you so much less lazy about doing it. You have to get it right. And you just keep getting it right until it's right. And then when it's right, you can be so proud of it. And it just like stacks up all the things in your favor. So it also keeps your region bin or your clip bin um, low and your file sizes are better and all that stuff. So got to keep those file sizes down. Got to drive space, going up in price, the supply chain problems, you know? Since, since we were talking about gear, I, I think it's funny. There were all these sort of like little coincidences that we were discovering as we were getting into this. Jamie mentioned that he uh, recorded most of the things on an American Strat that he has. I have that exact same guitar. We <laughs> somehow weird. managed to buy the exact same color, model, everything, Stratocaster. And it's not like I buy tons and tons of guitars. It was just, it, it just happened to be one of those things 
that we discovered like we, that. we both we both managed to buy the exact same one uh and so it was just yeah just one of those happy coincidences also i just wanted to mention really fast since we were talking about like changing keys on things if you listen to the record you can hear some of my my vocals are actually flown in from the demos and then there's a very speed element to it so you can kind of hear a little bit of that like oh this is pitched up a little bit or oh this is pitched down a little bit and i love that like th there's such a it's like sort beatles of, you know it's the, there's that beatles quality to it where it just it, it they sounds record just at a, higher speeds so they make their voice sound lower when it plays back or you oftentimes the reverse yeah. they record lower and then speed it back up and john lennon has a whinier voice you know we did we actually did some of that on do you don't you as well we like we we mm -hmm. changed the whole key of the song even though it was all recorded and everything but when we were cutting vocals we're like we want the vocals to sound a little strange in this part so let's let's slow it down it has the added benefit too then okay well now i can actually sing a little lower but then mm -hmm. when you ramp it back up again you get an almost like you you have to do it subtly or else you, you veer into chipmunk land <laughs> you mm -hmm. know what i mean but like if you do it just a little bit it just adds a like a slightly psychedelic kind of like something's a little strange about this i don't know what it is but it just adds that that touch you know so yeah your your ear hears it and you have a sense of it like whether it's conscious or not the uh which i gotta say i love because sometimes when bands like produce their own records and stuff like sometimes sometimes i'm a little iffy i'm like if someone says we're gonna produce it ourselves i'm like eh, okay but you're an act you are like bona fide producers like even just hearing you talk about the construction of a song or deconstruction of a song and like all oh, this, so I'm like, Oh no, you're in good hands. Like, I don't, I don't know that a stereo record would do any better by bringing in like another producer. I don't, I don't think which credit to you. Cause again, sometimes I'm weary. Sometimes self-producing is not the way to go. If you don't think like a producer or your other bandmates also can't look at you as a producer, like look at you in that role. I don't or think just can't look at you. They just like, they just <laughs> hate you. you know, it's like those guys the way this record sounds i cannot even look you in the eye anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks yeah my, you did a really great job on my instrument there wilford uh and J jamie has a, a a great advantage there where he had already been engaging in production and i think that role was really kind of solidified you know before even getting into any of this Rory, stuff. you should talk about too like a little bit like where you know because we we talked about this in the last one where like where we kind of had our little lanes for this mm -hmm. project right where you were podcast man and I was record man, you know? Right. Yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah. I mean, so Jamie mentioned earlier, it took like seven years. And so we started in 2015, we started doing the the demo uh, exchange. And then my role started to become more of like, okay, I'll send something to Jamie. Maybe he'll need me to, to do some vocals on it again. But for the most part, like the lion's share of my work in it had kind of completed and i've been a huge podcast fan for for years and years and and it's hard for me to be a fan of anything without wanting to also do it like it's just built into me it's part of my dna and so i've always kind of wanted to do a, a podcast but didn't really have any any direction to go with it and suddenly realized how interested i was in the story of the stereo and the way that this band had I had been there uh, at the beginning, I had had like a front row seat for a lot of things that had happened to the stereo when they were initially getting some major label buzz and things were getting kind of exciting. And then the label that we were on, Fuel by Ramen, started to just turn into this behemoth. And and you know the the very very early stages of that were starting to take place. But then I wasn't on the inside anymore, and I would hear 
about things happening within the band and, you know, maybe get some of the, the high level drama, uh, but also hear about, you know, the, the successes. And, and it really just had this feeling like it was going to explode. It was going, they were going to be the band of the kind of older FBR acts that was going to break through and, and be the one. And it, and it just couldn't come to fruition. Like it never, it never really went. And so wanting to find out what happened there, like what was the backstory there? And I knew, I knew I was super interested in it. And so I figured that, you know, it could be a compelling story. Once I started doing interviews with Jamie, it just took on like a whole new life. Like, oh my gosh, there are whole chapters that I had no idea about and really tell a, what I consider to be a really interesting story. You know, I, I was interested in, um, there was a documentary about a band called Anvil that I had enjoyed quite a lot. Great doc. Um, and, and that sort of kind of slice of life, taking a snapshot where maybe there's an element, if you know the band, that's fascinating to kind of see like, you know, what was the, what was it like behind the scenes and, and what was the part that maybe I, I wasn't paying attention to. But even, even if you don't have that level of interest, just being able to see like a human story about people and, and since we made the, since I made the podcast and since it's come out, what I've discovered is that people really do have that connection. I've had people tell me that listening to Kings of No Hope helped them to work through the old feelings that they had about being kicked out of things or like being rejected on out of something that had nothing to do with, with music. Just knowing that everybody in their youth you know, has things that, that they go for and they try and they fail and it's, and it's really tough. And so like, in just a really basic way, we can all relate to that. And so I found that a lot more people were able to connect with the story in ways that I couldn't have even anticipated. So it was, it was really cool to have that, like Jamie mentioned, that track for me to work on while he was doing the heavy lifting and making the uh, crazy guitar tone that, that you like Anthony on, on the record. Uh, I'm going out and doing interviews with, you know, Chris Caraba or, you know, people who, who love the stereo and want to talk about the band or, uh, you know, chasing down interviews with, with, uh, past members of the band and, and sort of bringing all that stuff together. So it was really a, an interesting way for us to be able to both creatively be steeped in the stereo, uh, for those years while we were putting it all together and getting ready to, to be able to put it out. There's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of work in that too, putting something like that together. I mean, just the amount of interviews, the amount of, it's very like well-produced. And I mean, as someone who has to like produce radio and podcast stuff, I, I, I know how much time that stuff can take. Like it's even including with interviews, like I just, cause I'm listening to it going, even if you're just like, you know, for 30 seconds, you know, this person pops up and says this here and then they come back later or something taking you hours like who know who knows how long you actually interviewed them the time it takes to write the questions to get them on the phone to even get everyone like all together and all that like takes about seven years (laughs) (laughs) can i add one thing though that i think is really important to understand about the podcast which is the the you know the story that every that most that you most hear about bands is the one where they're crazy and they're, they did all the drugs and they went to every party and they were found in the gutter. And then they had to, thanks to a shot of adrenaline, they're now here today. You know what I mean? Like that story has been told a million different times, a million different ways by lots of really famous bands, but there's that salacious, like opinion of what bands are. Right. But 
that's literally like a half of a percent of the last half of a percent of all bands right most bands don't get anywhere near that right they don't that's like it's just like oh there's like there's like literally a handful of people that have been to the moon but there's a lot more than a handful of people right (laughs) like it's such a specific slice of 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 humanity that was able to do that at this point and maybe more in the future we'll see thanks elon um but um the story of the stereo the kings of no hope though is like it's the other story the one that's never told which is like and it's not just like the local band that works in the you know works hard in their garage and they got to play the big battle of the bands last week like that's maybe not a compelling compelling story but the one in the middle this one was like okay well this band did get signed this band did you know get to make records they did get to go on tour in multiple countries and they did make an impact but they didn't quite get to that other part they didn't get to the moon right and i always thought to myself like taking myself out of it right like gosh i would kind of like this is a more attainable goal like for like the significantly vast majority of bands than the other one right like everybody will probably on some levels like they you know yeah you know they grow up like i want to be a famous movie star rocks or whatever right i don't think by the time we got to the point where we were trying to do this i don't think anybody's trying to be a famous rock star but we wanted to like have m- music be our vocation right mm-hmm. but the problem is you're 20 or you're 24 or whatever it is you're and you're going okay i'm still just barely equipped to like live as a human being you know in my 20s now i'm trying to like manage this thing that is like there's no manual on how to be in a band, right? And there, but there's a significant amount of opinions on how to do it, right? <laughs> Coming from every corner of the earth, right? And so you're always having to kind of just guess your way through what's right, what's wrong, whatever. That story, the one that Rory told, was our version of dealing with all of that, warts and all. And we really did like try to make it so that it was like that as you're listening to it we're discovering it too rory and i had had buried the hatchet a long time before the podcast is just for our own personal problems but we never really spoke about specifics we didn't go back there it was probably even still kind of like a a wound that didn't feel like something we wanted to open like we're good right now like why talk about this right but we knew subconsciously that for the podcast for the story of the stereo we had to talk about what went wrong between us right what i did wrong what he did wrong etc right and we saved it for the for the mics you know Mm -hmm. and the good thing is like had we not done that i almost it could have gone poorly it could have been like well i can't fucking believe you did that you know but the mics kind of kept us engaged and got us through the moment but it's all there for you guys to listen to. And so like, I think that's probably one of the most compelling parts of the podcast is just two people, two old friends going over some tough shit that they did and getting yeah. past it and moving on. Yeah. I, I think so often people bury the hatchet without actually doing that. You like it, it, to actually like unpack it and get forensic with it would almost feel rude or, or, you know, like people just want to kind of like move on and put it in the past, but the, I highly recommend it. Like if, if there's someone <laughs> yeah. that, that you like, things are cool now. Uh, and, but you, you had beef in the past and you've never really talked about it. I mean, it, there's so much catharsis you get out of it. And I learned so much. Like Jamie told a story, uh, the, I, my eyes are burning story, right. was, was about me like screaming in <laughs> Jamie's face. 
like gotta the, be a t-shirt <laughs> like the last <laughs> night that i was in the band basically like when i got dropped off at the end of that night and, and i was done i i don't i have no memory of that that now and i don't even know that it's ever been a part of the story for me in general like thinking about getting kicked out of that band and so you just discover so much whenever you engage with someone else's perspective and actually, you know, get to to try and experience some of it through their eyes in addition to, you know, whatever you've been holding on to. Those, those parts where you're talking about that you kind of like, you know, maybe buried the hatch a long time ago, but you're getting into like, you know, just really the grit of it all, like behind the mics. Do you think that made it easier or harder doing it in that setting, doing it, you know, as like for the podcast and behind a mic? Does that, does that make it? Cause I don't know, like part of me goes, maybe it makes it easier, but then it might not. Cause this is for everyone. This isn't like just a conversation. There's a level, there's a level of awkwardness to it. Right. Because we didn't have an audience. We were just yeah. kind of doing it. Like, as we're talking now, we were, we were, in fact, I think we were actually talking on the phone, but we were just mm -hmm. recording locally you know, like on our own systems, yeah. it, it, which makes it sound like we're sitting in a room together, which is great. And Rory, the way Rory put it together, it has that feeling, right? Really well. But we had been talking for probably several hours at that point. And, and I think it might have been like the second or third installation of our of the interviews with with me. Um, and so we got there. While we were talking, you know, I'm just like sitting in my living room or wherever I was, and he was talking at where he was. We still knew that there was a future audience to these moments. Mm -hmm. And so you can't necessarily put that out of your mind. And so there's an almost like, um, I, I wouldn't go as far to say there was a performance aspect of it. Cause I, I don't, I think if you listen to it, it sounds, it's real. It's all it real. Funny. It sounds real. But, right. but at the same time, there's an awareness that you're kind of in a room with others. And so I wanted to say things on my, you know, be on my best behavior when I was talking about this subject out of respect for someone I have a, gr a tremendous amount of respect for and who I call a lifelong friend, even though we're talking about something that essentially at that point damaged all of it. Um, mm -hmm. So, and, and Rory was probably, I mean, let me speak for you, Rory, and we'll see, we'll, let's play how well do you know your bandmate? Uh, Rory was probably going through this going, okay, I have an agenda of things I want to talk about because I'm the producer of this podcast. But at the same time, I'm hopefully you're saying I'm glad to be back in the fold doing this thing. I'm making this podcast. We're making a record. And I do value my friendship with Jamie. So I want to, I, he's thinking about the audience surrounding this. I'm thinking about, I, at a later point when I put this all together, this is going to be a moment where Jamie has to listen back to this moment and am I doing a faithful job of, re of of curating what he's saying and the essence of his apology to Rory and all that thing? So there's a lot that he's probably balancing too. How did I do, Rory? Yeah, I think that's 100 percent right. <laughs> and okay. and there's like a whole editorial aspect to everything that kind of comes in after the fact. And but I it felt it felt very real to me in the moment. And uh, and you asked the question, Anthony. You know, is is it uh, uh, easier or harder. I felt like it helped facilitate it. Like it, like it, it gave us a structure and like, okay, you know what, we're going to sure sit, sit down. We, we've carved out a couple of hours, you know, our families are not going to be uh, tugging us away for this stuff. And that's, that's an element that I think you would have a harder time sort of like establishing if you didn't have some sort of thing that you're doing it for that, uh, I, I think Good helped point. us get there.
that makes sense. That definitely uh, uh, makes sense. And it is like again being being I guess I guess of the three of us, I'm the only one who can kind of have that out full outsider you know experience of me listening to it as a listener. And yeah, I mean, sounds very real. Sounds and I like it too because I feel like you you. I mean, you give the good and the bad of the band. Like, I just feel like you give it straight. Like, it's not like it's all just terrible things or all good things. It's just, this is very much, this is a stereo. This is how it happened. Like, this is the yeah, story that, of the band. That was definitely, again, this was the Rory show. He was the producer. Like, I feel like, you know, and Rory would would agree. I, you know, I definitely was like, dude, I know that it's going to be probably the best way to tell this story is to villainize me a little bit and i'm okay with that because that that's gonna make so much a, a, a such a better podcast than anything you know because and i think it really caught a lot of people off guard because i think they probably expected the hero story of the stereo you know like mm -hmm. and then they got signed and then they did this and then they played the sold out show and and everything was amazing and it's all thanks to jamie fucking what no no we didn't do that <laughs> at all right we're like okay this dude here's how he screwed up and this dude should have done this and this dude then wanted to kick that dude out and then like it was the kind of like the we didn't tell the story of our band through the successes we kind of told it through the the f-ups you know and apologies by the way if, if you have to like oh, bleep me fine. out I'll, I'll try to curb you're fine. My, uh, my say language. all the fucks you want i'll, I'll edit it out <laughs> on the radio god so finally feel free um <laughs> no but uh that probably caught people off guard because they were like whoa this is like episode two and this is like this like I'm expecting here kind of the story about this, like this, this, like kind of like underground pop punk, you know, power pop band that I like. And here it is like this emotional sort of like discharge that's happening between these two guys. Like, holy smokes. Like it, it went to a new level for people. I know it did for me when I was listening to early versions of this, because I was like, I stopped thinking it was about us. I was like, oh my God, this mm. is like a, and I told Rory immediately, I was like, this is great. This like feels like, a documentary of just about people it's almost like not about a band this could be about any just people that have had hardships between each other you know and i think that's what made it resonate it just kind of it just was a realistic view of people trying to make a thing work and maybe not doing the right things to make that thing work yeah it's and, kind of, and i just want to say really quick i i know that not everybody came into it thinking like, oh, this is the stereos putting out a new record. And so this is, you know, the, the big promotional thing where they're going to talk about how great they are because there were people who found the podcast that didn't know that we were coming out with a new record who were reaching out to me and saying what, yeah, you know, Jamie's such a jerk. It's really cool that you stuck it to him there. And I had to be like, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, th there's, there's a lot more to this story. You need to, to hear the whole arc. And by the way, uh, we actually have a, a new record coming out that I'm, I'm on just, you Awkward. know, yeah, let's <laughs> be transparent about it here. Um, but, but that in a way that's good because that means that you can't, you can't, you don't listen to it and then instantly think like, oh, this is like a, a promotional device or something that, that the band is just looking to leverage to be able to. Uh, get people interested in their Kickstarter or what have you. Like it really did exist as this whole other storytelling that we wanted to do kind of in, in coordination with the album, but as this like, you know, wholly separate element. Well, I mean, I got to give you guys credit, just like I did earlier with like the self-producing, you being able to do it. 
a lot of times, including current day, yeah, bands will do like a podcast, like a promotional vehicle and stuff, which, I mean, even if I'm a fan of the band, sometimes it's just like, I mean, this is going to be one big, like, you know what I mean? Hours yeah. of promoting. Of patting ourselves on the back. Yeah. Yeah. Like we the, didn't, we really didn't want that. I didn't think that that would be interesting. And, and like, it's just, if anything, it would just feed into like whatever reputation I have, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like this guy was, you know, like what enough about me, what do you think about me? Kind of, you know, yeah. like we don't need any more of that floating around. Right. And like, and so I was kind of like, I'm a different like I operated a much different way than I did when I was, you know, uh, insane, you know, 25 year old person trying to make my band, my vocation, you know, now I, I have a, a different life and a different set of priorities. And, and so this to me was much more of the art of it, you know, and again, I didn't have to do really anything like Rory would, would kind of chime in with me and show me bits and bobs here. And I would give him my two cents, but I was all, I, I, like, just like I would with record production, I was that trying to not take it so preciously or be so sort of like um, self-absorbed about the subject. I, I treated it like a piece of, like a project. And so I would tell him like, well, you know, I would give him some sort of maybe clarifying information about something because it didn't seem like the, it, what, in my opinion, like this part of the story was being sort of faithfully, whatever. And he would come back with a new version. Like, yeah, now that I think that's more understandable. Mm -hmm. um, but like, and so any my advice to Rory was always just sort of like, how do you make it better? You know, here's, here's an idea I have, take it or leave it. And, 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 and every single time Rory did make it better, but it was like, it, it, I, I have such a, uh, a sidelines, person involved in the the podcast you know other than just like graphics you know what i mean like like it was the rory show and 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 i couldn't be happier but i'm like almost like at like for a long time i was saying i'm more excited about the podcast than i am the album you know because it's <laughs> such a cool thing and it's so different you know uh but now that the record's out i think i'm kind of 50 50 i'm, I'm proud of that too so not working on it helps you know it's yeah. constantly worrying about it so yeah. I mean, also the interesting thing too, is when you think of when the stereo existed, I mean, obviously the internet and all that existed, but like, I feel like you were right before social media where like some bands, like, I feel like your story's almost documented online. Like you can go online, even if you just discover a band, you can kind of piece things together. Like even as a fan of the stereo, there's so much stuff that I like not discovering you till 2011. I didn't really know. There's a lot of stuff that I don't feel is, is readily available or out there which kind of like you were saying, it's kind of big chunks. Like, you know, this and this about the band, but like, you don't get, you don't get the bridge. We'll go back to the bridge. Like yeah. you don't have, you don't no have middle eight. Yeah, you don't have the middle eight to like bring it all together and go, no, this is the full story. You know, like this yeah. is the whole thing, you know, this, this, and this, but you don't know how everything connects and like all of that. So I, I think also when you existed is kind of nice to have that document yeah. all in one place. You know, and not only that, like the, you know, I, 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 my, my wife and I always have this sort of like this, this, it's not a joke, but it's like a sort of a reality about like, whenever there's like, you don't know when in the absence of knowing something about a subject to people, whatever, right. Humans tend to interject like an assumption to fill in the gap of, of the lack of knowledge. Right. Yeah. So like in the absence of information, we, people will always submit their own <laughs> mm -hmm. to to understand the thing uh and so that probably happened a lot with the stereo i mean i i can tell you all kinds of, i i've heard over the years like 
I, I once heard something about me. This is actually before the stereo where um, there was a show that I played where I was flipping out that I, uh, the, the rumor was that I flipped out backstage because I didn't have a deli tray. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And like, I, I don't even know why I, I would have been flipping out at this show. I wasn't, but like, I was like hardcore vegan. Like I was like, I wouldn't have been flipping out about having a deli tray. I would be flipping out about having a deli tray. You know what I mean? Like, like, so it's just like the weird stuff that just sort of bubbles up. Did you hear uh, another one? Did you hear that the Jamie from the stereo makes all of his musicians play off of sheet music? I have heard that several times. I'm like, I have never written a piece of sheet music for anyone in the band a single time in any band. You know what I mean? Like, where does this baloney come from? The deli tray. <laughs> Root cause. Oh, yeah. And and Anthony, you were mentioning that the uh, the story is not really on the internet. One thing that really doesn't help with that is that we named the band before search engine optimization was a thing. Yeah, yeah the stereo so, not the easiest yeah. thing to find. Try try searching for the stereo and see what what sort of stuff you come up with. It's not going to be a lot of. There's not much info. worse, you know. If we named the band like Cats or like Dot Eat HTML or something <laughs> like that, it would have been like that's about as hard to find as. Yeah, not know. a Googleable name at all. Not at all. Nope. Yeah. For, for sure not. For, uh, I mean, for you, Rory, I mean, again, you did an amazing job producing it and stuff. And I mean, I know you said you had like interest in podcasts and stuff. Could you see yourself doing now that this series is over? Could you see yourself doing any more podcast stuff? Be it, I mean, for one, you could do it even behind the scenes. You're very good at the like production side, but could you see continuing on doing podcasts or anything like that from here on out? Yeah. I mean, I definitely daydream about that sort of stuff, you know, like getting, like you said, I think even more interested in just the production side of it. I would love to get into a project where I could take interviews that someone else did and and try and build a story out of it and, you know, be on, on the back end. It, it is a ton of work. You, you called that out earlier, especially the type of podcasts that I like to make. When I listen to podcasts, I mostly listen to conversational stuff like we're doing right now. But when I wanted to make one, I really wanted it to be more in that sort of audio documentary sort of style, you know, like Serial or S-Town or uh, uh, Trojan Horse Affair, that sort of deal. I love that element of control. Uh, I I love the fact that hopefully it's relatively seamless, but there are so many edits across that podcast that you would not believe of just taking out ums and you knows and likes and like my fault the things all the ticks that normal people do when they're talking where i'm just trying to tighten it up and just make it you know really sound sound really good uh and so with it taking up that much time it, it would just have to be i would it, i would have to be incredibly passionate about something to be able to add it on top of my day job and then you know everything that i do with the stereo it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of work and you're right. I mean, it's kind of an art form in the storytelling way that you did it. Cause it is, it's not a let's talk for, you know, hour or whatever. And then we just kind of put it up. It's, it's, you're definitely taking that. And again, you might take an hour conversation or an hour interview. Yeah. You throw three minutes here, you throw three minutes here, you do 30 seconds here. And I did, I also yeah, and want nobody, nobody that Rory interviewed knew what the narrative was. And they were, were, none of us were like helping him with delivering like these perfectly bite-sized quotes that he could just slap on the timeline. He had to kind of figure out after everything was asked and answered how to tell the story. You know, I mean, he had a good starting point with his questions, but at the same time, he, as he's mentioned, he, he didn't know a lot 
he wasn't it wasn't he didn't know what to ask yet you know so it just yeah. it was just like it, it, i i can't even i can't even begin to like under you know it, that would be like me like if i was making a record like that is be like okay i'm going to record every chord at every tempo <laughs> and every, and do it and hit every drum in every at every velocity yeah. you know and then every bass note and then just i'm going to start writing songs but using then, all the parts so like, it's, it's like oh, it's scary all these yeah. notes yeah yeah like oh i'm going to oh and i'm going to i'm going to vocalize in every note every word <laughs> <laughs> And one one of my favorite things about it too was just doing it that way, and and you know doing an hour long interview with twelve different people, and then kind of, kind of coming back, is that I would get contradictory information on very specific things, and then be able to. I, what I loved doing was putting both of those perspectives into the podcast. So, in some points, I'm sure it probably sounds like I messed up and I like missed some sort of. Uh, 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 alignment between the, the two different stories. But really, I just love hearing one person say that it happened one way. Uh, you know, BJ saying that uh, him and Jamie got into a fist fight at the last Animal Chin show. And then Jamie saying it didn't it didn't really come to anything physical, like right in a row, and just have those two perspectives and those two memories and not not really trying to to like resolve fix it, it yeah. or resolve it or yeah, anything like that. No, no, like continuity police happening uh, on my side almost the opposite which made it more authentic if you ask me like it made oh, it more yeah. like sort of like we're not we're not trying to like rosy this up it's like here's like that's what this guy said and this is what this guy said and you know some of these events are like 20 years ago too so it's like yeah. you almost can't it's like some a couple of things are gonna be a little off you know what yeah. i mean like your recollection right. we can agree that we were in this state at, yeah, that's this <laughs> happened, you know, like, and we might have been at these coordinates, but after that, it's like, you know, we might not agree on deli trays, but we can all agree, right? We were yeah. there. The, yeah. the Rashomon version of it is more interesting to me. The like, yeah. let's show it this way, let's show it that way. The truth is probably a third thing that it's probably know, in the middle. Neither of those people uh, uh, said to me, <laughs> you, you find the truth somewhere in there, yeah. But, um, you know, a couple, a couple more for you guys here, and then I'll let you go. Um, for the new record, I mean, I, I don't know that touring would be in the books, but I mean, do you plan on playing some shows to promote it? Like, do you think that's, is that the plan going on or you, do you think shows and stuff in the future? hundred percent. I think, I think all of us want, especially now having a whole album's worth of music that we're super excited about. All of us want to be able to get in front of an audience and share that and have that experience again. Uh, the logistics are tough. You know, just from a purely uh, uh, realistic standpoint, it is hard for us to be able to get into that one place. There is a, a huge backlog of music that from the, the time of the pandemic where everybody wanted to be on tour and making, you know, putting out records and all of that yeah. got severely backlogged. And so we're kind of seeing, and that's great for audiences right now. Like some of the lineups you're seeing are are just oh, nuts yeah. because they can put together these packages of all these huge bands that you know we're waiting in the wings to be able to get out there. So, so we're continuing with a little bit of that, and then just you know the sort of high bar that it takes to be able to get us together. But I would say a thousand percent, the stereo want to play shows, and we will find the right show, and we will be yeah. able to play in front of people again. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, just for the comedy, we, we joke that like, just <laughs> so to we get can hang out, just hang out and have fun. Yeah. Cause it is a lot of fun to hang out. Like our band is like 
nowhere near the band that it was 20 years ago, you know, or even 10 or whatever, right? Like we just, we have such a good time and now we have so much to like laugh about and celebrate, you know, because yeah. everything that we finally accomplished. So it's, it's, I, I can't imagine that it's not going to be just some of the, the funnest moments, you know, so, and love to share that with, with fans directly and have them hopefully like sing along with new songs and, and, and old songs too, but just like, just be so fun. So any, any, song, any songs that stick out in either of your heads is like, would just be great in the set off the new record ones where you go like, Oh, that would think Hey Jude is a popular song. Um, <laughs> people tend to sing. People along might that. know that one. Yeah. People might. A few people oh, might. you mean our songs. I'm sorry. We, we actually, even though it's been a very long time since we've played a live show, the last time that we played live, we did, play uh two songs we did kings of no hope and 13 oh, nice. uh, off the new record so we've we've had an opportunity to share some of these these yeah. live and and those uh snuck those them in under their noses yeah i know i know you know nothing people love nothing more than whenever bands play the songs off the new album that hasn't even come out yet uh <laughs> which is a joke because people just want us to play our old songs yeah. but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh those two songs playing those live have been great now there's this whole other laundry list of songs that that I think will be a lot of fun. My Ready Arms sticks out to uh, off the new album is one that I think will oh, be a ton of fun uh, to to play in front of people. Yeah, that one has a nice energy to it. That I would say just the it's energy a as a as a uh, fan or as an audience member. Yeah, I feel like that would fit in there, you know, a- anywhere. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I got I got just a few more here, and then we can uh, we'll like where we get to the record and everything, where we can buy the record, where we can find it, where we can find the podcast. But um, oh, actually, on live, and I wanted to ask you this, Rory. But I mean, I know you guys have played songs live, not on you know off the other two stereo records. I mean, you learning those songs and going in there, sure. and you played them live. I mean, did yeah. you know those songs before going in? Is this the first time hearing them? What's that like? And for you too, I mean, is that weird at all playing those songs live, you know? No, it's great. I mean, and I get to have, you know, some input into what the set list is. So I get to pick some of my favorite songs off of those records. I, I was never, you know, so hurt from being kicked out that I straight up like couldn't listen to a stereo record or anything like that. Uh, it did, but I was a little, a little uh, uh, salty about it i would say like at first uh uh when no traffic came out i was uh, probably more salty so you gotta about be that careful one. some of that might burn your eyes you know what <laughs> I, mean? I i was i was not really ready to like embrace and love that record but by the time rewind and record came out i actually started off and i don't think i, I don't know if i've said this to you jamie but when the, like when i first listened to rewind and record i went in kind of wanting to not like it because i didn't necessarily want the the new uh, record from the band that kicked me out to be uh, amazing, uh, but it was. And you know, Rewind and Record is just a fantastic record Thank by you. several different measurements. Fooled you. The <laughs> the the songwriting on it is ama- amazing. The production I think was just like a, a bar that no one else in that in the scene was was hitting at that point. Like like Jamie basically again showed that on an independent label, you can make a gigantic sounding record and and put out songs that uh, for all intents and purposes should be on the radio right now. And so uh, like a song like 1994 is, is one of my favorite songs off of that record. 
so yeah, it, I mean, it is a little surreal to go through the process of having Jamie show me how to play 1994 so that I can then go on stage with the stereo and play it. But uh, it's also, uh, you know, I, I love it because I did love that song before we ever even got into that. From my perspective, just to add my two cents, though, I, like as soon as we started playing with Rory again, I just I didn't have any there wasn't to me, there were no rules about Rory. There were just like if we're welcoming him, welcoming, welcoming him back into the band and he's back in the band, he's going to just just be Rory. Do what you would do if you were had been in the band the whole time. There's not going to have there's not going to have any. Well, OK, Rory, let's like stay in your lane, buddy. None of that <laughs> happened at all. At least like I never wanted it to. Yeah. Um, the only thing I probably did say is like, well, if we don't play New Tokyo, uh, they will not let us off the stage alive. <laughs> like that's kind of like that's it's one of those burden. And uh, uh, it's like it's a blessing and a curse songs where it's yeah, like, yeah. I'm glad you love that song. But boy, I we, we have I have to play it for the rest of my life now. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that song. That one was written so close to 300. It's very much in that same sort of pocket. So that, yeah. was, that was not a big stretch. I think it's neat hearing them live too, because it's almost like this would be, I mean, like if you were on it, because I mean, I, I've heard, I think like on New Tokyo and stuff, some of the videos I've seen, you do backing vocals and stuff too in there. So you're throwing your own little, it's like you're, you're adding Rory onto it, which as a fan is neat. And also that you're still playing songs off those records. It's not like a thing where it's like, oh, they're only going to play off, you know, just Rory era stuff. So yeah, I, I like it, but, um, outside of the stereo, you guys working on anything else currently, anything else we should be on the lookout for? Is it all stereo right Spiders. now? Spiders. I, <laughs> I cannot imagine trying to throw in like one more like project yeah. or something <laughs> right now. I, I think Jamie and me are both pretty redlined at the moment, like between everything that has led up to this moment. And then this moment, like finally, uh, uh cresting. And so, no, uh, uh, all of my uh, uh, time and energy that isn't going into my day job or my family is has been a hundred percent into the stereo. Yeah, I, I I wish I could be as more concise. I I still am like accepting like mixes for bands and stuff like that. So I, <laughs> I like I I'm doing recalls, you know, for protagonists right now. I I, I finished yeah. a kind of like a couple of songs for some local brothers down here or whatever. And, um, you know, I'm always fielding kind of like um, requests to do record production of some kind, mixing usually. Um, but I am trying to manage my time as, as well as I can, but it's, it's difficult, you know. Um, but And I obviously I always just default to like, Oh, it's Saturday. Let's hang with the family. Let's go do this. Let's let's drive up north. Let's you know, like so. It's like, it's a lot of um, it's a lot of of life, you know. So I can't even can't even imagine like you know starting some other major project right now. Just trying to keep your head oh. afloat is like the project. So yeah, and I, I I've told Jamie before. I mean, if if nothing else, this album thirteen that the stereo just put out should be an amazing calling card for his production work. I mean, I, oh, I think I that I think it sounds yeah. phenomenal and any band out there looking to just put out the best sounding record that they possibly can should hire Jamie right now because uh, he will make it happen. Thank sounds you, Rory. And by the way, Rory is going to be uh, directing the next Star Wars film. Uh, <laughs> Wait, do I look that much like George Lucas right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The plaid shirt and the right. oh gosh, okay, yeah. Oh, so where do we uh, where do we find you guys online? Where we find the band online? Where do we grab the uh, new album? On top of that, I mean, I, I know 
in the Kickstarter, there was like vinyl, CD, cassette, if I'm not mistaken. Are physical <laughs> goods, are those still, can you still grab those physically if you missed out on the Kickstarter? Like, where do we find all this stuff now? We have a like a very tiny bit of extra um, of, of the vinyl. Like, um, but ultimately our Kickstarter was for Kickstarter backers, right? Yeah. So our kind of our physical, we, what we didn't want to do was have everybody kind of come in and, 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 and pledge to our band. And then, you know, at like, you know, like buying like the vinyl package with the t-shirt, this, you know, for like, like 200, 250 bucks or whatever. And then seeing the vinyl that they just bought with this oh, package yeah. available for like 18 bucks somewhere else. Right. Yeah. You know, so we we chose to limit the amount that we're pressing so that it was for backers right so they 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 pledged big and they're the ones that are getting the goods everybody obviously can go to spotify and 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 apple music and listen to the new record it's available now um turn it up and enjoy uh the stereorock.com is our website you kind of get to everything from there kingsandnohope.com is the website for rory's podcast and you get to the uh, you know, episodes one through five from there. And we actually did it, you know, Roy, do you want to talk about episode six at all? Or yeah, we, we did a live uh, episode, a bonus episode to cap off the, the end of the, the podcast. Uh, Scott Heisel, our friend who uh, used to be the uh, managing editor for alternative press. He hosted it for us. Uh, our good friend, Jonathan London produced it. Uh, and we basically got the band together. We play clips off of the new album uh, we have uh, some guests come in to, to talk to us. We do a game show, very ill-advised game show uh, <laughs> with confusing rules that make it go off the rails completely, but uh, hopefully in a fun way. Uh, you can check that out. If you want to see the video version of it, you can see it on the Stereo's YouTube channel, uh, or you can get it on any podcast service that you uh, get the Kings of No Hope podcast on. It's the bonus episode six. Uh, and that was that was a lot of fun to do. It was fun. I was telling you earlier, Rory. Yeah, I had listened to it, but I hadn't seen the video. But I, I probably listened to it a week or so, whenever it was released, I don't know, a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, while it was great, the entire time writing questions for this, I was like, God damn, I hope I don't like not think about it and like start writing questions because of something like Scott asked. And I didn't even <laughs> think about it because I was like just listening to that. So hopefully not He's a lot a of repeat questions in here, but no, I was like in my head, I hope it doesn't, they don't start like creeping in the back of my head. These questions, like that's a good question. Well, you know why? Cause Scott asked it two weeks ago. <laughs> but no, uh, and we, we always, we obviously are doing a lot of the records coming out the podcast. Is out, so there's a lot of like sort of press that's happening and we always do our best to be like, not sound so, like, like we're recycling things. I mean, cause there's a lot of fans that do sort of consume everything that we're on and, hopefully we're giving them a little something different every time. And, you know, and then that, that way, you know, Anthony, you have something that's unique to your own, your show and that sort of stuff. So. I love it. Yeah. It's something I don't think about too. You know, back in the day you do like radio interviews or whatever, you're not going to hear it. Not you can, you can only hear who was ever around or if you can like obtain that. Whereas now if you can go hear 50 interviews, yeah, from everything's Jake, permanent. So yeah, you go find it. So I, I see what you're saying there. But, uh, I mean, it's been amazing talking to both of you. If you're listening to the podcast, we're going to play a song or two. If you're listening to the radio show, we're going to play the whole record. So now that you you listen to us talk about it, now we're going to play the whole thing front to back on the uh, radio show. But either way, we'll start with track one, no matter what you're listening to. So right now, the stereo, their new record, 13. The end is the beginning. Good way to end this right here on the Power Chord Hour. 